Hello, and thanks for tuning in. This is Zoe Midler, host and moderator of the Not A Rocking Chair Librarian podcast, and this is episode 26, Candid COVID Conversations, New York Teacher Librarians Leading Out Loud. There have been a plethora of webinars, Zoom sessions, live streams, Twitter chats, blog posts, slide decks, etc., focused on helping teacher librarians navigate the changes and transitions brought on by the COVID-19 crisis. I recently attended one of these virtual events, Serving Our Community School Librarians in a Time of Crisis, a webinar featuring Christina Halsweiss and a panel of teacher librarians. Everyone on the panel shared tips and tricks, ideas for supporting staff and students, and shared their thoughts on what might be next. One panelist, Susan Sue Kowalski, really got my attention. Sue shared her state of mind, her thoughts on what it means to be a librarian in this crisis learning environment, her ups and downs, and was candid in a way I craved. I suspect I'm not the only library professional that wants to hear from other teacher librarians about what they've been experiencing at the emotional level and more about their role in this new reality and what do they think their role will be in the future when in-person instruction resumes. I wanna hear more from Sue and other teacher librarians about their journey, so I've decided to do a series of episodes entitled Candid COVID Conversations, where I will talk with teacher librarians about the impact COVID-19 mitigation and the move to remote crisis learning has had on them, their learning communities, their roles, and what will library librarian advocacy look like moving forward. First up, New York. Joining me today for this first Candid COVID Conversation episode is Sue Kowalski and three of Sue's New York teacher librarian colleagues, Serena Waldron, Lindsay Cesari, and Heather Turner. Before we jump into the conversation, here's a bit about each of my guests. Sue is a librarian at Pine Grove Middle School in East Syracuse, New York. She's a library leader at the community, regional, state, and national levels. She was named a 2016 Library Journal Mover and Shaker and a recipient of the 2012 Carnegie Corporation of New York, New York Times, I Love My Librarian Award. She's passionate about student leadership and being a connector between people, ideas, and the impact those connections make. Serena is an elementary librarian in her seventh year at Oswego City School District. She's an ardent lifelong learner who believes the best learning happens when we're having fun. Her greatest wish is to never hear the words, this is a library, so you need to be quiet, ever said in her room again. Lindsay is a non-shushing junior high school librarian. Her favorite part of her job is collaborating with teachers on instructional design. She loves using books to forge connection with students, and she's never met a piece of technology she didn't want to try. Over the last year, she's become an accidental esports coach and a vocal supporter of using esports to reach underserved populations of the school community. She also can't work without a well-stocked candy drawer. Heather is the teacher librarian at Fabius Pompey Middle School High School in Central New York, servicing grades six through 12. She is the president of Central New York School Librarians and the vice president of communications for the New York Library Association section for school librarians. After 12 years as a librarian, she has seen the power of student voice firsthand. To follow Sue, Serena, Heather, or Lindsay on social media and find links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit the Not A Rocking Chair Librarian podcast Wakelet collection. If you have a Wakelet account, just search for Not A Rocking Chair Librarian and the collection should pop right up. Or go to tinyurl.com slash resource companion. That's tinyurl.com slash resource companion, all one word. And you can always follow me on Twitter 
at znidler, at Z-M-I-D-L-E-R. And remember, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please take a second and rate and review it on Apple Podcast. Hello, friends. Hello. Hello. It's so great to all have you here. And let's give a second for you guys to give a big shout out for New York because this is an all New York podcast episode. I feel on like the count, on the count of three, ladies, what do we do? We lead out loud. <laughs> yeah, hashtag read out loud is our kind of our uh, our um, symbol, if you will. Gotcha. You know what? Hold on a second. Okay, you guys are still there, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I just noticed that I want to plug in a little differently here, so hang on one second. Everybody can hear me, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So that was my technical snafu because uh, I thought I had my headphones plugged in, but I had my power cords. That was really interesting. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So um, the other thing I want to mention was that that was fun because, you know, um, every night at eight o'clock in our neighborhood, folks come outside and, you know, they do their cheer for all of our frontline workers. And I certainly see you guys as absolutely some of our frontline workers. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, Sue, let's start with you, um, okay. because you, you were kind of the um, catalyst for this particular episode of this podcast, so I'm going to start with you and put the pressure on you. Um, All right, I'm ready. <laughs> what were your initial thoughts when word came down that your school, school district, you know, state was closing in-person instruction to mitigate COVID-19 spread? Um, well, the initially full disclosure, middle school librarian had gone through some kind of tough, some family situations, uh, most of the winter and honest news that we were closing for two weeks. I anticipated a little R and R and a little regroup and a little Sue time. And, uh, I quickly found out within 24 hours that wasn't the intent at all. And we were actually going to be working and teaching, um, so at first, I thought I'm always one who looks for new opportunities and new ways to do business. And I thought, we got this. Um, we're connected. I'm in a district that's a one or in a school that's one to one. So I thought in my head, I was pretty confident we had the infrastructure and the talent and the creativity to um, kind of crush it. So I was looking forward to trying a lot of different things. And I'll stop there because that's how I started my um, initial um, call to action. How about you, Serena? What was it like for you when you got word? I'm a bad adult. I don't watch the news. I don't read the newspaper. I don't listen to the radio on the drive to work. I listen to podcasts. So I was kind of blindsided. I had heard some rumblings when we left work Friday that maybe we wouldn't finish out the next week. So I was just completely blindsided when we got the call Sunday that kids weren't reporting and we were. And then it just kept changing so often and so quick and what we were doing and if we were coming in that it took a long time for it to really settle in that this was happening. This is real. And I think I'm just now 
coming into terms with the fact that we're we're done for the year with going into our buildings. Um, it's yeah, it's been hard to reconcile. Um, mm-hmm. In those early days when everything was changing so fast, I threw a lot of energy and time into updating the library website and getting a learning from home section up. Mm-hmm. Uh, partly because I was so convinced that this was temporary and that I didn't have three weeks to put this together. It needed to be done now because they were only going to need it for, you know, two, three weeks. And that has not been the case. It's I, yeah, I'm still figuring that out. Mm -hmm. How about you, Lindsay? So um, I'm kind of the opposite of Serena. I was scouring the newspaper and I had a text chain going with my friends. And every time another state closed, I sent out a group text like, you know, Colorado's closed and New Jersey's closed and, you know, whatever the string of events was. And we actually knew um, the weekend before that Monday was going to be our last day of school with students. And I remember waking up Monday morning at like three or 4 a.m. and I couldn't sleep. And scrolling through Instagram and there was the most perfect meme that described my mindset. It's um, a picture of Big Bird in a wagon and he's got a whip and he's like cracking his whip and he looks like he's going somewhere in a hurry. And the text of the meme says, um, other people during COVID, question mark, librarians during COVID, and then the text says, we ride at dawn, bitches. That was like the most perfect snapshot of my mentality. I had like the biggest adrenaline surge that day that I knew was going to be our last day because I knew a lot of the responsibility for switching to this distance learning environment was going to fall to me. Um, And we just hit the ground running that first Monday. We recorded like the band concert that was scheduled for later that week. Um, We had to get 825 PE students into Google Classrooms that weren't part of Google Classrooms. We had to prep 200 Chromebooks to go out to students. Um, I was putting together all kinds of distance learning resources for teachers. And it was just the most adrenaline-fueled, crazy, hectic blur of a, you know, 12-hour period. Heather, we haven't asked you yet, have we? No. (laughs) (laughs) go for it um so I love change I kind of revel in it um I in fact I've been in several districts because I just I like change and so um I love tech um I'm kind that is really my thing and so I thought initially yeah I can do this this is going to be like no problem kind of like Sue you know we got this um you know we're one-to-one Chromebook Um, And then, uh, and I'm a very small district and we got this. And then, so at 8 a.m. that week that we were going to close, we had a staff meeting, you know, right before the students came in and they said, we are going to be here all week. Okay. So just start, you know, gathering things and, and making sure that you have everything that you need. Um, And then at 11 a.m. we found out that we were closing that Monday. So that was a little shocking. And then um, I had to, with my aide, go around and get middle schoolers their Chromebooks checked out because they normally keep them in school. So that was um, kind of like insane. Um, And then our um, high school musical was canceled. And so trying to navigate the, you know, devastation of the students having of that being canceled and then ended ended up that we streamed it. 
um, using, I think we borrowed equipment from another district, um, Liverpool, I think, um, and that made that happen. Um, and so initially I'm like, okay, you know, first days, this was hard, but we got through it. And I said, well, but I like tech, you know, and, and I can definitely be that connection for teachers, but like students are being over tacked and they don't attend things and we have issues with connectivity being a seriously rural district so kids don't have internet you know and so this has been like a huge issue they may have the chromebook but they don't necessarily have reliable internet so um it definitely has been extremely challenging um and overwhelming just the sheer magnitude of resources and um all of that so that's where i am so I have two questions that aren't on the questions that I sent you. So surprise, surprise. Um, so how, how many of you, so Sue, you're one-to-one, -one, right? Our, our middle school was one-to-one. -one. Yep. And we continue. How many, and how many students is that approximately? Uh, about seven, almost 800. 800. Okay. And Heather, you're one-to-one? -one? I'm one-to-one. -one, and in my, um, I'm the middle school, high school. And um, mm -hmm. we have, uh, so I have six through 12 and we have 350 students. 350 students on one-to-one. -one. Yep. Okay. And, and what about Serena and Lindsay? Serena, are you one-to-one? -one? We are not. Not. Okay. I'm, and Lindsay? I'm one-to- Well, we have more Chromebooks than we have students in the building, but everything stored in classroom carts. So the students don't have the devices. Right. They, they like use a new device every time they go to a different classroom. Okay. But, but at home right now, no, they, they don't, don't have devices. Nope. Okay. Gotcha. So I, I guess I'm curious. I mean, did, did the folks who feel like I got this, um, did you feel like you had it because you were one-to-one -one or you felt like there was an, the infrastructure? I mean, somebody said something about the infrastructure sort of being in place. Do you think there was confidence? I mean, you had confidence because of that? Uh, this is Sue. Yeah. I, I, I thought all the things that I heard other schools um, starting to panic about in terms of device access and connectivity and I are, we had offices in place who were helping students who had no connectivity, working with our, you know, local providers to make that happen. So in my head, like I, I'm giggling now in hindsight, um, in my head, I thought, what could go wrong? We have kids who and there were honestly students who were excited about having being able to take a device home because they didn't have a device at all previously, other than a, probably a phone or maybe not. Um, and, um, you know, there was a little bit of a little lag time between everybody getting connected. Maybe, I want to say two weeks at tops, I think, um, by the end of the two weeks, I think we had everybody did through lots of um, support from our school um our district administration. So, and again, I, I thought device connectivity, amazing librarian, like what possibly would be, where would there be a gap? I couldn't think of it. Uh, this is Heather. And like, I agree. Um, I, I guess I thought of that question in myself, if I was ready um, for that type of change, I knew my district was not ready for that change. Um, the majority of my teachers are lecture and, um, because at the high school level, it, that tends to be what exists. And, and so I knew that they weren't ready. But I felt like I had knowledge and the support of the administration to try to help that along the best that I could. Mm -hmm. 
So Serena, your yeah. students do not have one-to-one. So are they relying on devices that, I mean, at home, personal devices? So we ended up, um, our district was very, our superintendent in particular was very upfront from the first close down um, time period that our um, focus was not new learning. We had to focus on meals in particular, um, a significant, like 75% or more in each of our buildings, percent of the kids get free lunch and breakfast. So our focus in the early weeks was how do we still get meals to these families? Um, So we put a lot of time and energy into that first and foremost, and our learning was all um, review and enrichment, and it was provided um, in paper packets at the lunch pickups. Um, We kept being told if we move to new learning remotely. So what we had to also get in place once the meal situation was under control and it was becoming more and more evident that we weren't going to finish out the year and we would need to move to remote new learning, we had to send out a um, tech survey, which also required making it available in a non-technological way so that we could figure out who had devices, who had internet, who would need them, and if and how the district would be able to provide them. So now we do have families that have borrowed district devices. It's one per family. So that's another hurdle. So if the family has one kid, great. If they have seven kids enrolled in the district, they still only have the one device. So that's been um, another thing we've had to be mindful of with our new instruction. Hmm. Lindsay? I um, wasn't where I do a survey every year during orientation, and I knew something like 98.7% of my student body had some kind of Um, internet access from home. So I wasn't worried so much about the students having access. One of my biggest concerns was my teachers and how they were going to adapt to teaching online. I have a lot of people I work with that are super open-minded and are always willing to try new things, but I have a couple teachers who, you know, have never used Google Classroom, who have never saved anything to Google Drive. And I had lots of concern. And these are the teachers who aren't necessarily the most collaborative to begin with. Um, So a lot of my concerns and worries those first couple of weeks were, how are these people going to do this? Um, And and I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure how they are doing it because they still are the people that aren't reaching out for tech help um, and support. So I'm not quite sure how how that's working exactly but apparently it is so another follow-up question i have is i heard both sue and heather mention um what gaps could there possibly be (laughs) so what gaps could there possibly be (laughs) uh yeah this is sue so here's i you know and again i'm i'm mostly an optimist and um uh had some hits this year personally, so I was doubting myself anyways. But I said, you know what? Again, this will give me a new focus. And like my team here, we're all up for a challenge. So I am a, my big kind of stick, if you will, is student leadership and putting students in the role of um, being in charge. So I thought, how awesome will this be? I will finally get my um, I staff, my student leaders on board to be, um, 
kind of virtual team. Like I thought we'll do this together. So I put together a nice flyer and a nice invite. And I, I thought I'll just pick up where we left off in the physical world and that this folks could be, you know, like, just like now teachers have all virtual office hours or librarians. I thought, how cool would it be if a student was there to troubleshoot? So that was my first go-to in addition to the normal infrastructure stuff in terms of making sure the website was good to go and resources were and, you know, we were kind of curating the information dump of, of free stuff and, you know, here's a great link and so on. Um, but I, I thought I had to prioritize my time and I thought I'll start with students. If I get a student team involved, the rest is golden. This will be award winning. You know, I thought. So I started. I had one student says, yep, that sounds great. And then um, I think day two that was. And she said, oh, that'll be good. You know, I had images of, you know, um, new swag they could wear and a whole like YouTube channel, the whole thing. I had big dreams, big, big dreams. Buy That's this why we love you. <laughs> well, you're I mean, you're like thinking this all the way through through the branding. That's pretty good. I, I had branding. I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this will really go viral because hello, it is. So um, then by literally by, this was day one, I had one of my little muffins like, yes, I'm in. That sounds wonderful. What will I need to do? Another kid said, can I let you know tomorrow? Literally by day three, 72 hours later, I got notes from all of them saying, I'm too busy. I have too much work. There's no way I can help. And I was like, okay, dream crushed. Like, what do you mean too busy? Like, what are you doing? What are these teachers? I literally thought there'd be kids sitting around looking to contribute to the world and um, wanting to help. And um, to this minute, that, you know, I have lots of conversations with kids and it shifted and they've evolved and so have I, but the whole idea of a group of kids just looking to, you know, be a genius bar of sorts um, was epic fail for me and not nothing against the kids. It never got off the ground, you know, so, um, so anyway, so my, my priority was getting the kids involved in a leadership way. And then, you know, the t-shirts and the swag was coming later, thank goodness. But, um, and then I thought, I'll just do what they tell me and we'll like, we'll be like a full service digital, like help desk. And uh, yeah. Great. So epic fail number one. So I'll turn it over to Heather. <laughs> um, I actually have another like great fail. Um, so I, <laughs> I do the Falcon news network, which is our um, news program that is recorded every day. And I was like, Oh, this will be great. You know, I'll have them record in Flipgrid, And then like, I can just splice it together and we video and it'll be fantastic. So that lasted about two weeks. Um, and then, so that was like every day for maybe a week and a half. I'm um, started out. I just did it myself. And then they're like, Oh, can we do it? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. And so um, then it went to three times a week and then it went to Maybe once a week, we want to do more. Let's interview somebody. And I was like, okay, cool. Like interview somebody, but nothing happens unless I facilitate it and make it happen. So <laughs> in the end, it's, it's been like two weeks and I've got nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm like, I want something like, you know, and, but it's just not going to happen. They're, they're just, and that's my, that's a huge complaint that I have to um, some of our teachers is that they really don't understand how much time their work takes. Um, and I am like in, in one of the parts of my day that I get the most joy out of is that I've started not 
I've, att I've started attending our team meetings for six, seven, eight. That isn't the joy that I get. <laughs> the joy is that <laughs> I am in like kind of the connection for a student. And so there's like two students that I check in with either, you know, 30 minutes or 10, 15 minutes every single day. And it's a highlight of my day because I feel like just even that one student connection makes everything that I am sitting at this computer for far too many hours. And I want to admit um, it makes it worth it because it's it, for me, it's the kids and it's always been about the kids. And I think that's why I don't think I probably will ever be an administrator because I, I like the kids. Well, I'm going to add, I went, so you're saying that when you attend these team meetings or whatever, you feel like you're representing the student voice in those meetings? Um, so in, in some ways, I mean, it took me a month and a half to get in those meetings. Um, and it was just because I had a conversation with a guidance counselor and I said, I have no idea what's going on. I said uh, that we haven't had a faculty meeting. Like, I have no idea what's going on. My district is dinky. It's like so small. So, I mean, well, how small is it's, it? It's three. Well, I mean, for, <laughs> is it the yeah, 350? Yeah, 356 <laughs> through okay. um, 12. So it's, okay. I mean, we're about 40 to 50 kids per class. So we're very, very small. Um, we're actually the largest, like, in square miles, but smallest in number of students um, in the area. So it's just, Gotcha. I find that now that I go to those meetings, I have a pulse on at least the middle school. And so then mm -hmm. I can say, okay, seventh grade is going to, is doing an all seventh grade gym kit. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have a movie night because that's, you know, just a way for kids to connect. Um, Cause the social emotional, I think is, is where librarians can thrive. All right. I'll stop talking now. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't want you guys to be too like worried about that. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make sure everybody gets their chance to talk. So Serena, Lindsay, I, I know you guys, this conversation, this particular part of the conversation started with devices and stuff. So are you seeing gaps that maybe aren't technology dependent? This is Lindsay. Um, and that's been one of my um, non-successes yet. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've done enough to call it a failure, but I find that I have very little student interaction. Um, I am spending the vast majority of my time working with staff and doing professional development and instructional planning. And as a building, I've been the one that's in charge of like all the community, like development events, like the virtual scavenger hunts and the videos from staff and the um, art contests and everything that we do to like bring students together as a group but I still don't it's not anywhere near the same as having those daily conversations with kids um, the uh, the saving grace for me is that I coach an esports team and it's about 20 kids and we are the only sport in New York State still competing um, so me and my merry band of misfits um, we have a solid, you know, 20 minutes of conversation almost every week on Discord. It's like a gaming chat service uh, talking about things like Super Smash Brothers. And that's been, for the most part, the extent of my interaction with students. And that I didn't anticipate that that gap was going to be so obvious or so painful when this started. Got it. 
How about you, Serena? I think one of the things that I struggle with, and I think some of the other librarians do in our district too, is we are trying to, as a district, be mindful that we are doing things equitably when it comes to information and interaction and with our um, digital poverty, I guess we'll call it, it's a struggle because I don't have, my immediate ideas are all very technology based and that's not accessible Mm -hmm. to all of our students. And how do we reach those other students? And when you're responsible for the whole school and not just a classroom of 20, it's so much harder and takes so much longer to figure out who are those students that you're not reaching um, if they can't have the digital interaction. So it's, that's been tricky. And I don't have a good answer for that. Are you guys, no, I think, I think, I don't think a lot of us have the answer. For this that is right Lindsay. Now. I just, um, we got a message this week that counselors and administrators are seeing like a significant downturn just this week in student motivation and mental health issues. And, um, to the extent that we're like starting to institute like a weekly um, wellness day every Friday um, because our students are just at the point where like significant issues. And I didn't know if you guys were seeing some of that same recent downturn in your districts. Heather, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, they do definitely seeing that. And in a good or bad way, I mean, I certainly don't want to see a downturn for any kids or families or teachers. Honestly, <laughs> I think we're, a lot of people have, um, you know, are kind of at the bottom of the motivational chain. Um, but like, there's a couple of things that I thought, well, I didn't do that. I did, you know, this, you know, easy to do the compare and despair of like what I haven't done as a librarian. Um, and then I'm looking and thinking, well, there's some things I haven't done, but just haven't done yet. I like Lindsay's way of saying like, you haven't succeeded yet. Um, so for example, like the, like a lot of the community stuff, the, the fun contest, the, you know, the little solidarity movies that people are doing or parades or visits or, you know, the human side of things. And, um, my colleague and I started, um, kind of with, uh, props to John Krasinski there, the good news network or some good news or whatever he calls it. So we just. Yeah, no, I've seen yeah. that's really wonderful. Yeah. Actually, So we just started, um, the silver linings network and literally, I'm filming two, um, episode two today just to kind of start to give shout outs to which we would do every day, but it got lost in the uh, priority shuffle, unfortunately, like the positive recognitions and stuff for people to watch it. Now, is a, a 10 minute news thing or video thing each week going to change the culture by itself? Certainly not, but at least gets conversation going about what teachers are doing and kids are doing and parents are doing that is, you know, finding a silver lining in all this kind of tough stuff. So um, I guess the bottom line is even the, like in the decline in the things that haven't succeeded yet or have failed, it might be a time for us to amp up again and say, okay, this didn't work in the first couple of weeks for whatever reason. How, what is there anything or not is there, but what can we do now to um, kind of help rally the troops, including the teachers? Cause I think teachers are hurting and um, not that we're not teachers, but I, I, I think there's a different kind of pain that they're experiencing in terms of disconnect. So with their kids. So I just think, I guess it's never too late for us to see what we can do to um, corral the troops and raise motivation. So I'm hopeful with that, but it is definitely decline in connectivity. And um, my husband's a teacher too. And, you know, he went from, I don't know, 75% to 50. Now it's like a 25% 
um, check-in rate, you know, with the kids we have, which is an older grade level. But yeah, I think there's just a, you know, what do they call it? Quarantine fatigue. And I think it's everywhere. So one of the things that I think is especially hard in New York state, I don't know if other states have um, experienced this as well, but we don't even know when we're done. Um, we gave up our spring break. We taught through those like 10 days of vacation that we were supposed to have back in April. And because of that, we don't know the implications of our end date. So we are all just kind of, you know, hoping and thinking that maybe it'll be sooner than it normally was, but there's no guarantee. And there's just so many unknowns that I think that adds to the fatigue. Like if you have solid information, it's a lot easier to make a plan and, you know, mentally. We just got a schedule yesterday and um, it does help because it helps you frame your thinking and uh, what do you want to wrap up when? And actually, I, I find it ironic, but I'm sure there's a reason behind it. We're having our spring break the week after or the week of Memorial Day. Like we have that week off. Oh, you have a whole week? Of, really? Yeah. But then we go to June 19th. <laughs> and part of me is like, okay, if we're having trouble railing the kids now, is the week after going to make it better or worse? Yeah. Like, you know? So, yeah. We don't uh, even know if we have Memorial Day off. I mean, we've had no yeah. communication. Yeah. So. But I, I find teachers are at least now and myself included, like, okay, this is when, you know, move yourself backwards with the end in mind. Like we've got to get to this where I've had a lot of teachers reach out just the last couple of days. Like we were going to do this unit, but we're not. So we'd like to do more of this. And can you help with that? You know, so they're shifting their instructional plans. And again, that's where, you know, I don't want to say I haven't been available for that, but I'm finding teachers are more like open to and less tethered to their original plans and more open or seeking creativity, which is, I think, where we do our best work when people are like, I need a better way to do blank or I need to cover this. What do you got? You know, do you do you think that's happening, though, because of the I mean, they're seeing motivation drop off, they're seeing engagement drop off. And now they're like, OK, I really have to think about delivering this differently. Or is that just wishful thinking on my this part? is Heather. I kind of want to speak to that. I have to say that, like, <laughs> Uh, I do media literacy lessons for six through um, eight and uh, sixth grade tends to be my best term um, engagers. Um, and then seventh is okay. And then eighth is, you know, maybe 25% um, do it. But this um, past week I did a, a meme project where we looked at the history of memes and they created memes, one based on the quarantine and then um, of their choice. And I, and the engagement that I had in that, activity skyrocketed. So like, I do think that we have to think about what we're doing and if we can do it in a different way, because you can't just record a video and have the students watch it and answer questions. Like, I feel like we really need to be aware of the topic and delivery and what is, what are the most important things that the students need to know? It, might not be what we think now that it, in in terms of New York State, we don't have the end of the year testing. So let's see this maybe as an opportunity. So this is, uh, you know, I had this great, I thought I had this great question for you guys. You know, how has, how has your role and support changed from the initial weeks of remote instruction to now? But now I think I really want to ask you guys, how, are, how is the teacher changing? their instruction. I mean, what are you seeing? I mean, you know, I know what you did 
specifically with the memes, but what are, I mean, are the teachers really thinking about doing things differently? Are you hearing anything? Are you being asked to do anything? Do you think they're evolving? This, this is Lindsay. And in the beginning, it was all like triaging and putting out tech troubleshooting. And I really was disappointed that I wasn't getting to do those instructional partnerships that I love the most. And um, fi- it took about a month, but I'm starting to see that there's a change, a shift. And instead of thinking about content, they're thinking more about skills. So, for example, mm-hmm. I was able to collaborate on a five-day sketchnoting unit with Living Environment. And there was a little bit of content thrown in but most of it was teaching them the skill that's going to be applicable for the rest of their high school career. And then in English, they're, you know, doing some Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet, but they wanted to pause to do a two-day unit on email etiquette. So where I'm seeing personally um, that they don't care so much about content and they're looking more at how do I teach skills and how can I focus on skill building rather than things that we might need to memorize for an end of the year exam. So wait a minute, are you suggesting, and I'm being very sarcastic <laughs> here, that we are finally getting to contextually relevant Stop skills? It. Stop instruction? it. Stop it. I know, right? Like double rainbow. I'm going crazy here. <laughs> I, I think that is kind of what's happening. Um, it it oh. just seems that they're, they've discovered that it's more relevant to students. It's less pressure in some instances for students. It's easier to make these connections. And without these without the state testing, some of the pressure to focus on the content has been lifted too. So I think teachers feel like they have this permission to investigate things that they wouldn't have spent time investigating before. Um, So I think that's been freeing, the like lack of state testing pressure and the pressure to perform and have students put out a specific grade has definitely freed up um, what they're interested in focusing on. And I do see it, but it still has... No, I was just going to say, I think in a good way, either the desperation or frustration or fatigue or like (laughs) a negative um, state of mind for teachers is leading to, and and I I can't speak for the rest of you folks, but I get a lot of people saying, I'm sorry to bother you, but, and I got that impression, you know, like it it was this isn't just a virtual thing. I'm like, I'm sorry to bother you, but I need help finding a book. Like, hello, it's kind of my job. But anyway, so I get a lot of people who are, now saying, I know you, we used to look like, you know, once every two weeks, I would, you know, do book talks of various shapes and sizes and book tasting, whatever. They're like, I bet you, you have a way to still do that. And I'm like, politely saying, yeah, think like, of course I have a way to do that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I think people are, I, I do sense a little desperate tone in their voice, like, help me, help me. And, you know, the, the more relationship and I'm sure we all feel that the more those conversations just flow routinely like okay I'm doing this and the thing I have planned sucks what do you got you know as opposed to teachers I've never collaborated with who are very formal in their requests and then others are somewhere in the middle like I don't want to bother you but is there a different way to deliver this concept or this which I think and again speaking for myself and there are probably some overlaps I think we've been trying to do that all along like why do you have to do the seven page argumentative essay if there's other mm-hmm. ways to deliver that same learning goal? You know, like, could we do something more relevant? You know, could we do something more authentic audience and so on, which I think as librarians, we're trained to up the inquiry scale and some people are not there yet. Some of our partners are very tethered to the safer. Well, yeah, I guess it is safer. Like they're 
traditional way, like what we have to do that or how will we measure. And I think kind of like letting the structure fall apart a little bit is maybe helping some people um, try some new things. So this is Heather. And I really agree. I have to say that most emails for requests for help begin with, I'm sorry, I know you're really busy. And I have to say that I've talked to more teachers than I ever have during this. And I'm in, granted, I'm in year four um, in this building, so I'm still building relationships. Sometimes I'm tempted to say, yes, I am. Please leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) I've got people randomly sending me gift certificates just because I'm, like, doing my job. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, here, here's 30 bucks to Amazon because you answered my tech questions today. And I'm like, guys, this is my, this is what I do. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, I can take those off your hand. Yeah. So, Serena, you aren't in a technology-infused environment like this. Are you seeing similar things? I think because we're in elementary school, the teachers teach a little different already. I think there is more, Mm -hmm. you know, song and hands-on because they're they're littler. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. their biggest hurdle was trying to figure out how to translate that to a more static, flat medium. And actually, I'm, I'm really proud of our teachers and our district because we hung back a little bit on moving to new learning um, and distance learning. We saw some things that didn't go as smoothly in other districts, and they accounted for that. They gave our teachers a whole week um, where they had different remote virtual trainings with our tech integration specialists on how to do Google Classroom, how to how to organize your drive folder. So they gave them time to learn. And I have teachers that have, you know, used to tell me all the time, technology scares me, who are doing a wee video and embedding audio into slides. And they're just, I'm really proud of them. They've they've found ways to get over their fear of technology and they're doing their best to make it as interactive for the kids as it was when they were in the room. And I think the initial thrivers, this is Sue, is I'm seeing are the teachers who have been wanting to try some new things anyways, and maybe have been restricted or a little hesitant because of either the teams of teachers they're on or because of kind of routines that we get caught up in. And now they're like, oh my God, I've always wanted to do blank, blank, and blank. And I think that the teachers that are really thriving, there's some initial early adopters and, you know, who are loving, I'm not saying they want it to replace the human part, but as a supplement or as a before, during or after a component. And then there's like, like Serena said, I think there's some teachers who hadn't done any of this, like nothing against our, our, our phys ed teachers, but they weren't on a Google classroom and nor sometimes, nor should they be. It's phys ed. They shouldn't be on a, Mm-hmm. But the things that they're doing and oh my goodness that they're bringing what I would call a non-tech, you know, uh, content to a world that, you know, in the best you know case scenario is like really coming to life. And I think people are learning stuff and trying new things. So I agree, Serena. So, okay. I'm, I'm hearing two things. I wonder if you guys agree with this. One I'm hearing is that possibly the alleviation of pressure, whether that is pressure to say, we're not going to expect any new learning at this time. We're going to just maybe deep dive the stuff we've already done and give kids a more of a chance to review and refresh and within the, you know, within the confines of the content, no new content. 
And then there's another pressure valve that's been released, which is the test prep and preparing, you know, the, the, and all of that. So that now you can, you know, have time to do the email etiquette class that we've always wanted to do in a contextually relevant way. Um, so do you think that that is the silver lining? I mean, this, this valve, this pressure valve has maybe been, you know, released a little bit and um, they're, they're, they are able to look at things in a new way. Or, I got to disagree slightly. Um, this is Sue and our district. I, I think you'll find district to district um, is going to be very different on their philosophy of um, continuous learning or, you know, change. So right. there's going to be a shift depending on the district. Our district has kind of been more continual learning, um, going, keep progressing. Mm -hmm. um, um, and, you know, we had to reprioritize because we know not everything can be covered. So we our meetings have been in terms of in this ELA 8 standard, for example, what are we agreeing is going to be the ones that are non-negotiable and what can we let go for now? So um, I, th I think it's district to district across the state. It's it's very different philosophy on, on what the outreach should be. So I think it's it's freed up some, you know, like say it has been uh, less stress for some, but in other cases, it's been more because it's like, how do we grade? How do we assess? How do we move kids on to the next grade and the next content level or next, you know, next level of the curriculum? So it, it's a double-edged sword. I think sword. I think there's some permission to try new things and that's freeing. And I think there's that little like, you know, devil angel on the shoulder, like, yeah, but what about, and that. So. This is, this is Heather. And, um, I think that we've talked about some great components, but I wonder um, if this component is, also fits here, and if it doesn't, I'm sorry, um, is that um, the parent component. And I have to say that in my um, district in particular, um, there has been more communication with parents than ever before. Um, and the parents are not super tech savvy um, in my district, and so, my administration approached me for doing some Google meetings for parents so that they can understand what their um, child and students are trying to do, because especially at the elementary and middle school level, there's still a big component of that um, educational process. So, and parents are becoming, I mean, they, uh, there's an article about this is crisis school, emergency school. This isn't distance learning. Um, and so, um, bringing that, do you agree, do you agree with that? Do you agree? Do you guys all agree? This is crisis learning versus distance learning versus remote learning. I mean, I've heard, I this do, too. I do. I, I think it is crisis emergency, um, education because, uh, the students didn't sign up for it. They didn't, um, you know, they're, they're not doing online school. That's not what they signed up for. And there's so many pressures at home that aren't like a typical, like if we had just moved to remote learning in a normal environment, it wouldn't be the same situations with, you know, no childcare, the, the older students are taking care of the younger kids, or there's financial, more financial issues and job issues than normal. And um, that the situation at home just is also an emergency uh, and, and they're learning in that situation. So have all of you found more parent engagement, more parent communication? Yeah. What are you seeing from the parent side? I, <laughs> well, I already talked Anybody about it, so I didn't want to talk again. 
No, I know. So that's why I'm like, hey, somebody else. Oh, I will tell it. you, as my, I have a, a second grader in the same district that I teach in. And I have tried really hard not to overwhelm my son's teacher with um, questions and comments. Um, I know how hard they're working. So I'm, maybe it's just because I'm a teacher myself, but I'm going out of my way to like not nitpick or keep all my suggestions to myself. And we, we just do what we can do and we mm-hmm. do the best we can do. And we trust that she's doing the same thing. Um, I, I do know that, you know, not every teacher is having that same experience and that there are some parents who think it's, you know, acceptable to ream a teacher out right now or, um, you know, be very upset about something that's happening in a classroom or whether or not that's justified, I don't know. Um, but as a parent, I've tried my best to like limit my communication with my son's teacher. Yeah, and I would say I'm mm-hmm. hearing most about, this is Sue, most of the parent involvement conversations I'm hearing from my teacher colleagues or administrators. And I am, again, my husband, who's a teacher, and I hear the uh, slamming of the doors occasionally. Um, so I, it's, it's such a range. You've got everything from I'm sending them a plan, a, you know, a bottle of wine for thanking you for all you're doing to um, telling, you know, emails, threatening emails that said, how could you do this to my child? Like, and everywhere in between. And again, because we're working in trauma and crisis, I I think every emotion, I mean, other than total disrespect, is just, it's where people are at. And I think there's parents who are don't have infrastructures in place at home and don't necessarily know who to take their frustrations out on. Um, and then I, I it's all over the board, I think, with parents. I think there's not one single theme of, this is working out wonderfully. Thanks for all your help. This is the worst thing I've ever been through. Like, I don't, I don't think there's a consistent thread on any given hour of any given day. I think it just depends on so many factors and the kids themselves. And, um, and again, I would say the one increase is that parents have been forced for the most part, parents and families to see what this Google classroom thing is and what is my kid doing online and how are they spending their time? And, um, I did have one like kind of giggle, like satisfactory thing for kids who are capable, but have gotten very entitled and very um, enabled, I should say. Like, what time is it? Where's the pencils? Where do I do? You know, like, what time period? And like, are now yeah. asking those same annoying <laughs> to their parents. <laughs> and I'm sure at some point they're saying, look at the clock. <laughs> So I, and one parent said, oh my God, and like, how do you do it? And, you know, you see the memes all over the place. Like you lied, my child is yeah. not a pleasure to have in class. Like, <laughs> so I personally in my district and in all my world of teaching friends and parents who are teachers now, I have not heard one single thread of consistency depending on what's going on. But that's, so I don't have one answer. I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, I think what we're, I mean, what I'm getting through the conversation is obviously it's not a one size fits all. Not everybody's going to react the same district, different, different districts are going to do things differently um, depending on whether you have tech or not. Um, I think the one consistent thing I'm hearing though, is that, you know, you guys are all very much community uh, liaisons. You're the bridges between, you know, the school and the learning community and the learning community consists of parents, students, 
and the staff members. And I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to understand, I mean, if you had to look into your crystal ball at this point in time, you know, what do you think that's going to look like moving forward? What, you know, if we have to remain in this kind of groove or if we do get in-person instruction back, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm just kind of wondering what that's going to be. You and me both, sister. (laughs) We had a whole meeting about this, didn't we, Lindsay? (laughs) Yesterday we spent an hour talking with 50 librarians in our region and um, in a Zoom meeting and just trying to say like, okay, this is the issue. Like if the physical library is closed and we're not allowed to circulate materials, how are we going to ensure that our program goals are still being met? And we spent a solid hour brainstorming solutions to all these potential problems and ways our life might shift. Um, but it's so unsettling, at least for me personally, to just just not know. <laughs> like, so okay, I, I don't want you to relive your whole hour meeting, obviously. That would be a whole separate podcast, which I'd love to have. But I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, what were some of the big ideas or what were, I guess, biggest concerns? I'm, I'm just curious. Have the spreadsheet open in front of you. <laughs> I, I don't have the spreadsheet open, but this is Serena. I can, I know one of my biggest concerns, again, at the elementary level, is we talked about um, one of the potential obstacles was limiting of or eliminating shared resources when the kids go back to school. And that's essentially what a library is. It's just one giant room full of shared resources and trying to figure out yeah, how to make a library a library still if the kids can't all share my limited set of Chromebooks or you know, little kids love to follow, literally follow their friend to the library from their class just so they can stand in front of me at the mm-hmm. desk and go, I would like the book that so-and-so just brought back. And how, you know, things like that, yeah. I, I, I get, I don't have any good answers. I don't know. But we talked a lot about um, how do we do this? Yeah, how do we transition students from being browsers to um, selecting books they want to use, maybe using like readers advisory services, or like how do you have a kid pick a book when they can't browse for one? Um, another thing we talked a lot about was how can we, um, where can we don new hats, or where can we show our value? And one of the things we talked about was. Um, that schools are going to need to transition in-person programs to online events. So things like um, new student orientation that might be held at the end of the summer that might need to go online. That's something that we're probably going to play a role in. Um, Heather had talked earlier about providing uh, parent professional development or parent PD. We talked about how librarians are going to be able to play a role in that. Um, What else, guys, did we talk about? I had well, a, I think a lot of what we talked about this I think is that advocacy piece because, I mean, I'm sure Colorado is the same way. There is concern with uh, limited funding for next year. So how many of us as librarians will have positions? So that is a major concern with advocating and showing our worth to our district. I, don't, I mean, I don't think that's just for Colorado. I think that's across the country at this point. I, I think it's across yeah. the world in some respects. You know, um, I, I do. I, I, I wonder when these budget comes, you know, budget cuts come start to come through, who will be the first, you know, position to be eliminated? And, and I, I mean, I hate to say it, but in a lot of situations, you know, it's like when you work in the commercial world, you know, the first group to go is usually marketing and sales. And a lot of times it's going to be the librarian and some of the 
clerks and support, fo- you know, folks who get, um, who get let go first. So I do agree with you. I mean, making this advocacy, um, you know, ma- making our advocacy in the past was pretty clear cut. We knew that value in that role that we play, but <clears throat> trying to reimagine it and now communicating that value and going through that sort of goat rodeo again. I, I think, think that's really yeah, difficult. I think one of the key roles that we always have played and will continue to play, um, which I don't think is being played by a lot of people, is to be like the the strategic connectors or the great connectors of um, people to resources and resources to to people and people to people and and making a connection. So, for example, I had a little parent newsletter I was starting to do. I thought, well, a lot of parents are asking the same questions. Why don't I just do a one page? Blah blah blah. Well, I don't really have a great direct way for it to go to parents, but the counselors and the teachers do. So I'm feeding people with what they need to support their their big goals. And I don't consider that doing their busy work. It's the same information I would do, but instead of it coming from Pine Grove Library, Sue Kowalski, why not say, here's something you could give to your parents. Here's a one-page tutorial on this that you could give your you know students. Here's this you could have for your um, your next meeting. So not to be like this, we're gonna do everybody's grunt work. I don't think of it like that. But I think when people start seeing like, wow, like the counselors were meeting and we had all this from the library, so we didn't have to start from scratch. And the administrators are looking for like, do we have a way to deploy this? Yes, we can do that. So I think it's just a different um, kind of, obviously a more, you know, resource sharing on a, like steroids, I guess. So instead of just individually, a teacher says, do you have anything on, you know, rocks and minerals? It's like, we're being proactive and reactive and feeding people with what they need to be most successful. And I think, um, you know, from the highest level of resources and instruction and instructional design down to here's a, a great tool to use to, you know, edit your video clips, you know, like, so there's the, the tools and the strategies and the, and the, and I think that's the role that we have always played and we continue to play. And I am, um, this is Heather, and I even see um, this um, in all the amount of Facebook groups that have um, been created that, um, you know, let's not reinvent the wheel. Um, people are already doing really amazing things. So, and we are, as you said, connectors. So finding the best resources and vetting them and becoming pivotal. Well, I I think I always couched myself when I was a librarian as an information professional, an information environment professional. And I think that's going to be even more critical now. And I think that that might resonate a little better with people than, you know, trying to position myself that way when people still had a library space to come into and they saw books on the shelves and they most closely associated me with that. So, I, I mean, I do. I think, I think, Sue, you're right. I mean, just making the connections outside of the building to subject matter experts and exposing um, folks to different ways of doing something, I still think that's incredibly valuable. I just know that that's also sometimes right. a hard thing to quantify, right? And that's, and I, I think whether I handed a book to a student and I, you know, made them incredibly happy and engaged them in a way that maybe they hadn't been engaged before to providing somebody with a flyer that says, hey, let's not call them databases, let's call them safe searching resources and let's make sure every parent has one. That's sometimes still harder to quantify than, you know, um, we just, it's just, our rubric is a little harder. I mean, in New York's, um, New York City, um, Oh, Sue, who is it that, that Melissa? Nick, 
Yes, she created a fantastic document um, that what this what this whole from home looks like. Um, and do you remember what it was called, Sue? This is Heather. Yeah, it's mm. called Translation of Practice. So, you know, column A is these are the areas that we hold true to what we bring, what value added um, leadership we offer. And then column B is what, what does it look like, you know, real life in real FaceTime, whatever you call it. And then column B is what do those same exact things look like in this remote world? Oh, hey, Sue. So somebody shared this on that okay. webinar yep. that I was on, that I attended that. Yeah. So yep. I, I have a link to that thing. So I can yep. definitely put that up. And I, the I it's, well. it's, it's again, it's library, yeah, was, librarians are, I mean, strong librarians. We want, and I think we as a group model that we want to be leaders, instructional leaders. And sometimes as a leader, you have to, you know, lead, follow, or get out of the way. And I found um, in, in real life or whatever we call that previous world we lived in. Like I felt like I was, it was easy and um, not easy, but it was more visible where my leadership would best play a role. So if I saw teachers stressed, I could jump in, you know, yeah. like there were more cues of where the gaps were, whereas now you have to kind of do a little more detective work. Like, well, what did she mean by that email? And what did he say when he said, will you look at this document? Like, what is he really asking? You know, and so on. Um, but I still think the thing that is non-negotiable that we're bring to the table is leadership with a big vantage point that a classroom teacher or a counselor, there's nobody else in the building who's going to have that vantage point with a non-evaluative lens. Like we know every, well, it's harder to know now, but we're on a mission to know what's going on instructionally and culturally and community wise. And then we can kind of look at it with a different lens than let's say, you know, even our counselors are assigned to a grade level. So a seventh grade counselor is going to have her eye on seventh grade. And he or she is not going to care about sixth and eighth graders or the other, but everybody's got kind of their group they're connected to and they're focused on. And if they have to let other things go, that's what they do. Whereas we are, you know, uniquely positioned that we don't let anybody go and our, there's nobody off our radar even if it's sometimes harder to find who's, you know, what's going on on that radar. But I think the leadership that we provide is going to be the, the non-negotiable skill set that districts are going to need to, in whatever environment we go to. Sure. Okay. Ladies, this has been fabulous. Um, I had, I remember I, our, our listeners don't know this, but I always try to send some questions in advance just so I'm not like, you know, hitting you guys out of the blue with stuff. And I think we've actually managed to get through all of them in one way or another. So congratulations. <laughs> I want to wrap up by saying, you know, I'm, I'm giving you guys this platform and, and you've been incredibly candid, which is what I wanted. Is there anything else that you guys want to share? I mean, a lot of TLs from across the country, and I also have a lot of listeners overseas. Um, you know, what do you want to share with them? What do you want them to know at this time? So I'm going to let Sophia I think start. I would <laughs> tell them something I need to remind myself. Um, and Sue alluded to this earlier, that whole compare and despair. I think we have to fight that temptation to do that. We have to trust that we know our students and our community and what we're doing is exactly what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. And it doesn't matter that it doesn't look like what other people are doing. Because I think the only really failure to be had in this whole change is that 
when things go back to quote unquote normal, if you just go back to doing things exactly the way you did them before. I think that's the only real failure to be had here. If you are learning and adapting and figuring out how to reflect and change and grow so that we're better prepared to be better for our students, I think that's the best thing you can do, whatever that looks like. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. You're doing your best and it'll show. I think I'm Serena, you went into my brain. Um, but I'm very yeah, good. You are very good at that. Um, so I guess I just have it said it in a little different way. So find your niche. Um, you know, is it, you know, emailing your staff two tips a day? Like, is it working with those struggling students that I was talking to um, before? Is it going to team meetings? Is it, you know, um, being a mad chatter that um, Sue and I coined in Google Meets, monitoring the chat so that you're in that classroom with students because that's where our great love is. And um, being, a, being an advocate, we teacher librarians are the worst at self-praise. In fact, my grandmother always says, self-praise is no praise. But I think that you can't have that mindset. <laughs> because you really do need to praise yourself and praise yourself often so that people know what you're doing. Because nobody is going to give you a pat on, pat on the back. They're just not. Unless you're, you know, with um, Lindsay's district and they send you gift cards. But they're not doing that in my district. <laughs> Okay. How about you, Lindsay? I would say that for me, like any successes I've had in my profession is because I've looked for opportunities and been open to investigating them. And I'm noticing that even in these crazy circumstances where my whole world are these like two screens at my desk, I am still finding opportunities to make an impact. And it's just a matter of me being willing to um, change my thinking about how I've done things in the past and maybe how I can do things differently in the future. And I'm still finding excitement and um, enthusiasm for my job because I'm still seeing these pockets of opportunity. And I hope you are too. <laughs> Amen. All right, Sue, you get, All right, you get well, the last one. Number here, one, so. I have learned more um, in terms of strategies and, and, and tech and little things, little buttons and little shortcuts in the last month than I think I've learned in my entire career. Um, basically, because you have to, you know, you got to figure things out. Um, not that there aren't people connected enough to answer the questions, but um, being a lifelong learner, I think, is non-negotiable. Uh, I know sometimes that phrase gets, you know, uh, used ad nauseum, but we've got to be willing to um, try new things in, in concept and in tools, and um, and we've got to be willing to let some things go. Um, we can't always be the frontline person, I think, in this environment. So it's possible that, like uh, Serena and Heather um, mentioned, that you might be seeing a district that's doing like daily reading of a novel or somebody who's doing a lot of visible outreach that's incredibly, incredibly valuable for that community. And you might be doing some things that are incredibly valuable behind the scenes. This comes in as knowing where you're going to make the most impact um, in the most, you know, using our leadership skill set, but also that fine balance between not being so behind the scenes that nobody knows this is coming from you and, and a way to 
<laughs> keep track of what you're doing and um, and make it visible that your role and not be afraid to um, send other people your resources that aren't in your regular, you know, send it to the five teachers. Maybe there's a curriculum director that would be um, best served to get the information. So I think it's just a matter of a balance between you know, the, the B-roll that sometimes we, you know, we want to achieve in our social media, like, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. But on the other hand, like, don't slip into the back of, oh my God, I'm not really doing anything good. So I'll just curl up and, you know, in a corner here. So I think it's a healthy balance between, you know, lead, follow, or get out of the way and keeping, you know, some good, um, I guess, data tracking, um, record keeping of what, so that if it comes to what you've been doing lately, that if it's embedded and people are talking about how the library or the librarian has helped them, you don't need to work as hard to um, tell your story. So the more we can put into the hands of the people that are um, framing or shifting teaching and learning, I think the stronger we're going to be viewed. Fantastic. All right. This was great. Um, I've learned a lot. And sometimes I do the podcast just for me. So there you go. Um, so I really appreciate, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this too. Cause I know that, you know, you guys are still teaching. I know a lot of people say, well, schools are closed and I'm like, yeah, the buildings are closed, but we're not closed. <laughs> we're still doing our job. So I really do appreciate this. And I appreciate all the back and forth. I'm, I'm getting this podcast together. So greatly appreciate that. Um, and um, I'm going to go ahead and conclude on that note. And I will, as I tell all the podcast guests, I'm going to let you know when this is posted so you guys can listen in and share with your friends as well. So thanks, everybody, Thank for you. your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, okay. Very proud of you guys. Okay, we'll talk Lead soon. Out. Lead out. Lead out. All right, bye-bye. Thank you, ladies.